Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Our goal in this podcast is to make real life simple. So is it possible for us to simplify the issue of racism in our country? Maybe not for everyone, but the change can start with us. Welcome to the Rusty George Podcast. Well, welcome, everybody. My name is Rusty, and I'm joined with my co-host, Brad Williams. Welcome, Brad. Good to have you with us. Good to be here, Rusty. Uh, as many of you know, February is Black History Month, and I, I wanted to talk to Brad about this because Brad is African-American, and I believe you have been your entire life. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I've been for about five decades, um, <laughs> so they tell me I've been African-American for a while. Okay, so here's... Here's the question I want to dive into, and we'll get right to this. Uh, there's there's this old assumption that if you say you're not a racist, it means that you are. Um, and so I want to get to this question of, you know, what does racism look from look like from your perspective that may not look like from my perspective? In other words, I'm a white guy that grew up in a white community and went to a white high school uh, and that's pretty much been my upbringing, but I, I would consider myself not a racist, but I know that there's probably things I do inadvertently that make me come across as I see you differently than I see myself or people that I'm, I'm around. So Brad, let me just start with this. What's it like to be an African American in America and specifically in a place or a room where you feel like I am definitely a minority. Yeah, I think it's different for different uh, African Americans. Okay. Um, and I think that's where the, a lot of confusion lies on the matter of racism because people um, have different perspectives. You know, being black, you have different perspectives on it based on your own history and your own experience. Uh, for me, uh, coming up, uh, I went to school in a predominantly uh, white uh, neighborhood. And so I kind of got used to being the only black guy. Everywhere I was, I was the only black guy. I think in my high school, it was 3% African-American. Mm. And so for, for I had, um, like my brother, brother-in-law, um, he grew up in L.A. where it was predominantly, he was surrounded by black people. Mm. And so for him to be in a room where he's the only black person, based on his experience, he's going to feel differently than me because I'm used to it. So I think that therein lies like the difference. Um, so depending on your experience, um, you feel different ways. I, I feel pretty normal, pretty, I feel fine <laughs> being in a room when I'm the, I'm the only black person because I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm just aware now of perception and people's perceptions of me. Uh, when I was younger, I thought everybody saw me the same. You know, I felt like there was really no different. And uh, I... I was not correct in that, you know, understanding. Um, but I learned that as I got older. How, how did you or what did you learn that you said you were not correct? What did you learn that they really thought about you? Well, I learned that everybody didn't have the same um, positive perception of me that the majority of people that I knew had. You know, I, I realized that some people, um, when it comes to, depending on the environment, like if I'm hanging out with friends, it's one thing. Um, if you're in a work environment, it's something completely different. And when my big awakening came was um, when I was in a work environment. You know, I had um, I was invited to a holiday party, 
And at the party, uh, where is a work party? I'm not going to say who I was working with. It was a long time ago. Um, at the party, um, I was literally the youngest and the only African-American there. A part of this, it was a, not an executive party, but it was for like the regional office. And um, yeah, and, and at the party, it, it's a hard memory, but at the party, uh, they had this uh, situation to where I'm not going to say exactly what it was, but they had something again. They had a game and in the game, you had to associate who looked like what. I'll put it like that. Mm. And the thing that they had for me that I looked like was was demeaning and laughs broke out. It was all good. One person that looked like it wasn't all good was a friend of mine who was actually in HR. So I got why she was stressed out. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was my one, you know, driving home. I was like, wow, you know, people see me differently. Like they actually they actually perceive me like this. And it was kind of like my awakening. I was in my 20s. Mm. What do you think that, okay, white people, myself included, what do we not understand? We say we're not racist. I look at you and I think you're my, my brother in Christ. I don't have a problem with you. And, but I don't understand what it's like to be a minority uh, in our country. Help, help us understand just some of the things that you have to think through that I don't. I think when it comes to being a minority, one of the things that um, other people don't realize, like you being white, you see mostly, um, you know, everything, not everything, but a lot of things are European. A lot of people look like you on TV, magazines, things like that. Um, when it comes to positions of, positions of power, um, people, the majority of people that hold positions of power look like you. And so when you're a minority in America, I think there's an expectation that people are going to try to understand you so they can help you. And I think that's where the divide comes in, because I think some people, well-meaning, are like, you know what? You don't need to. I don't have to go the extra mile to understand you because you're fine. Hmm. You're OK. And we're going, well, no, we are. But at the same time, there's some kind of an obligation on your behalf to get to know me because I am being force fed you. You know, I'm growing up on the Brady Bunch. Um, I, lo I love the Brady Bunch. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. But <laughs> not a lot of black people on the oh, Brady Bunch. I, I, I remember when Bobby said candlesticks in the house and that was like a curse word and everybody went off. I mean, when you talk Brady Bunch, I get I get serious. Right? I'm serious about my Brady Bunch. Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. Absolutely. Like, those are my shows. But also, as a kid, I'm seeing what good looks like, and I'm learning about a culture that's... Uh, I'm seeing what America is saying good looks like, and I'm learning about a culture that's not mine. And so I'm more familiar with you than you are with me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So um, I think that's where we expect some of that back and some of that in return in terms of um being understood you know and I, I say that like what pops in my head is a situation where i get i get um a lot of this uh when when was it when black lives matter became a thing right and blue lives matter and all that um you know i had a opportunity to have some great conversations with some individuals when the whole kaepernick knee thing went down i got a chance to have some great conversations with some people and i let them know that you know Things like things that we're trying to address really do happen. And I had well-meaning, 
good uh, friends that did not look like me that really didn't think they those things happened. They thought, you know, you're playing a race card or, you know, it was something of that nature. And I got I get it when people say that, but I would be able because they knew me to give them my real experience, you know, which was, you know, for me when I was what 18, I got pulled over for uh, in my neighborhood for driving like a gang member. You know, and I asked the cop, I'm like, why, why did you stop me? He's like, because you don't belong here and you drive like a gang member and uh, you have gang paraphernalia in your car. And I'm like, I was right in my driveway at my house. Um, and this was in Walnut, California, you know, which, yeah, it's definitely not, it's predominantly white. Um, and he have like the paraphernalia in my car. Like, what are you talking about gang paraphernalia? He's like, that stuff in your back seat. I'm like, my subway uniform? I mean, eat fresh. What, what's wrong? What's wrong you're, with that? You're just on the Jared diet. I, you're right. 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 I'm just, you know. And so so that was that was why he stopped me. And um, I'm like, you know, of course, you know, I, I was a kid. I was 18 years old. And I told my mom what happened. And she did what moms do. And, uh, yeah, we got an apology and all that stuff. But um, I realized, like, yo, Wow. Like, really? Wow. Like, why Why would you think that? And so um, when I share the, my experiences with other people, uh, why someone or why the black community would um, say, hey, you know, give us some attention or just listen to some of our stories. Right. Um, I think it helps that I have a connection to individuals because I feel like I'm trusted by a lot of people. And so when I tell them my experience, then their perspective changes. Yeah, I, I had a uh, pastor friend of mine just ask, uh, he, he'd written this in a message, and I was listening to it, and I, I thought it was so profound. He was talking about the the issue of white privilege, which we often laugh off, oh, there is no such thing and all that. And here, here was his point. He said, did you grow up with a box of Crayola crayons, and there was one color for skin? Oh, yeah, that's good. You know? Yeah. He said, did you grow up when you would go and buy Band-Aids, and there was one color and it was for skin. <laughs> uh, did you grow up where you would go to the hotel and there was one type of shampoo and it was for a Caucasian's hair? And these are things that, that I'd never thought about. Right. I've never had to process. And they would, nef- they would normally not be on my mind, but he made me think about them. And I think that all these things are really helpful for us to be able to understand each other and where each other's coming from. Uh, and, and just seeing a side of the world that we don't often see. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. It, it's uh, you're right, and those things are kind of gl- glanced over a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have to think about them, mm-hmm. you're just not going to, right? You know. But for people who don't, um, who are in the minority, then yeah, it's something that we have to deal with. Yeah, you know, I remember being that kid who looked at the flesh color crayon going. It's not my flesh color. Yeah, you know? that's right. I look at my hand, I look at my pinky, and I go, that's not pink. <laughs> it's more like a brownie or, you know, it's not a pinky, though. That's right. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's dealing with those little things, and it's also more so inclusion. Mm-hmm. I think that um, we're after, you know, if you look at um, racism, most people think, you know, the clan type racism, mm-hmm. the, that that burning crosses on the lawn and all that stuff, you know, and that's not the kind of racism that really exists mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. It's more of a uh, sorority type 
That's a good word. You yeah. know, um, racism. It's more of a uh, exclusion and, and inclusion. Right. You know, so I, I think people um, they misunderstand when they think um, that you know people are looking for in the minority are looking for handouts. No, we're just looking for inclusion. Yep. You know, we want to be a part of the conversation or a part of the community or we want to be included in all of the other things, you know, um, that that we've been excluded from in the past. Mm. Um, we don't want um, special uh, preferential treatment. Right. You know, we just want to be included. You look at uh, Hollywood and some of the you know years ago when they were talking about the oscars you know mm-hmm. not no black people in the oscars it wasn't that we were saying hey you know pick have denzel <laughs> give him a trophy yeah give him an award give him denzel an oscar. should win every year for something by yeah the way. He, he should he's that good uh but we were just saying uh you know include us you know and it wasn't just it's not just you know african-americans you know it's uh women it's um um there's an ageism thing going on people get Mm. excluded for various reasons and so eventually people just get tired of not being included and they say hey you know give us a fair shake too you know mm-hmm. i think someone made the point in the past when it came to men and women you know why is there a best male actor and a best female actor award mm-hmm. we need to make a best african-american actor category mm-hmm. it's like actors are actors mm-hmm. just do a best actor, <laughs> you know. Well, the award show would be so much shorter then. We oh, that would be a good. You thing. would be able to sell as much marketing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess. Well, Brad, help us understand how do we build the bridge? Um, we build the bridge by building trust, and trust has to be built authentic. Uh, the word I'm messing up, authentically. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> have to have uh, authenticity when you come to people and you try to build trust. You can't be fake or phony and build trust. You know, and that's where it has to begin. It's trust on both parts. It's not one versus the other. You know, it's together. It's uh, the people in the majority and the people in the minority and the people who do look like you and don't look like you. Everybody has to play a part and authentically really want to build trust together. Mm. And building trust is how you build the bridge. Once you build trust, then you can have healthy conflict. Once Mm. you have healthy conflict and real conversations, you can make real commitments. Once you make real commitments, you can have real accountability and then you get real results as a community, as a society, um, as a nation. And but it has to start with real, authentic, genuine trust. I just finished this book by Malcolm Gladwell called Talking to Strangers. Uh, It's a phenomenal read. And he's asking the question, what should we know about people that we don't know? What are the assumptions that we make? And he goes deep into it from Neville Chamberlain and his relationship with Hitler uh, to Jerry Sandusky and all kinds of different things. But he makes this point that our assumptions are often wrong. Um, we Sometimes we assume that people are lying when they're really telling the truth, and sometimes we assume the truth when they're really lying. Mm-hmm. He said the only way you really get at the whole thing is through authenticity and humility. Uh, it seems like that's what you're saying here, that relationships, it can't be summed up with, I'm not a racist, or I have a lot of black friends, but I, I don't... I can't stereotype all black people as being like Brad Williams. Right. I, I need to get to know every person as an individual, whether they're black, white, brown, however you want to categorize people based on their skin tone. But who are they as an individual? Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. And um, it's real. I mean, that's that's where we make our biggest mistake is where we assume, you know, mm-hmm. and you know the acronym or what they say about, 
you know, I can't say, I won't say it on this podcast. I don't know what that is, Brad. We don't, of course not. We don't, we don't want to assume, um, because that's where we, uh, we're just being lazy. Yeah. It's like you're filling, you're filling in the holes Mm -hmm. to somebody else's story. Mm -hmm. Let me fill in the holes to, to that story. Mm -hmm. You know, don't assume right what's in the gaps right you know and vice versa you know mm-hmm. i know i'm guilty and i have been guilty in the past of doing that a lot right and then i had to actually go to the individuals and have um conversations and i realized man what i was putting in those blanks what i was assuming that wasn't even close to what they were actually going right. through or actually feeling or actually thinking right and so It'd be like if I assumed that you were a Snoop Dogg fan and you assumed I was a James Taylor fan. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I guess that'd actually be true. It would be 100%. <laughs> For shizzle. But, but also, also a stereotype. All right. Well, uh, as we close, give our readers or our listeners, I should say, uh, something they could read or somebody to listen to. Um, you know, because I think for a lot of us, if we're white, most of our podcasts are white people. Most of the books we read are from white people. Uh, most of the TV shows are filled with white people. I mean, you mentioned Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and all that. You know, help us understand some things that would help us uh, understand uh, from a different perspective. Who should we be listening to, respect, and uh, and read? Uh, well, the, the one, the main... Uh thing that popped into my head was the organization Build a Bridge. You can go to okay. uh, buildabridge.org. And um, it was started by uh, this young lady who it's she has a mission to uh, race relations, mm. to really uh, dive into race relations and what the body of Christ's uh, role is in that mm-hmm. and how to build a bridge. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation is going to buildabridge.org. Uh, look at their resources, material, books, um, and see how you can actually get involved. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we do a lot of talking, uh, but if you really want to do something, uh, go there and see how you can make a difference and make a change. Yeah, and I would even, and you did this earlier, you, you've expanded this so much bigger than just skin tone. But for anybody who's listening to this and you're a leader in the church and you're working with volunteers, maybe it's just so much as if it's highly male talk to the females in that area and say, what's it like to be you in this area? How can we make it easier? If it's highly white and you know you have someone in there of a different skin color, what's it like to be you? How can we make it easier? Um, and all of the differences that kind of somewhat define us. I mean, obviously our identities in Christ, our soul does not have a color. Um, but on the other hand, God has created us all unique and beautiful. And so there's things you bring to the table that I can't and different experiences that I don't have. So learning from each other, I think, help builds a bridge regardless, male, female, black, white. Um, how's the song go? We are all precious in his sight. That's so, right. You remember that. Song. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's Jesus so loves the little children of the world. Yes, indeed. Well, Brad, I appreciate your vulnerability on this. And you and I have had many conversations about this and you've helped me a great deal. And uh, next week we get to a little bit of a lighter subject because Valentine's Day is around the corner. And this is our PSA, our public service announcement for all of you. Great Valentine's ideas and great Valentine's Day fails. You can submit your ideas to rgeorge at reallifechurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.